Hey, thank Josh and the team, would you? Yep. It's good to have Josh back. You know, he, uh, hey, real quick, those students, uh, you have class, um, and uh, Edge and Pulse to your places. Hope it goes great for you. Hope it's good. So Josh, and like Josh said, Josh and we just got back from uh, Canada and uh, Newfoundland. They went to see his family and got to surprise his mom. I saw a video of him surprising his mom, and, and she, was, she, she was asleep on the couch when they walked in the room. And and uh, kind of dozing, I think, and, and so she, I think she thought she was dreaming, maybe, and she just was not sure what was up. And I was really glad for Josh to go to see his family and, and to be there. But of course, I thought, uh, I mean, okay, so you got to go, then you got to come home. And so he said, yeah, we just got to test negative before we leave. And I thought, I mean, do you remember a, a moment in the pandemic when you didn't know anybody who had had COVID? Do you remember that? Was it 18 months ago? And I, you would say to somebody, do you know anybody that's had it? And they go, no, I, I don't know anybody that's had it. And now do you know anybody that hasn't had it? And if you do, you think, they just didn't get tested. You know, that's what you think. And so I'm thinking, he, Josh has had it, and he's been vaxxed, and I guess I just broke HIPAA. I don't know. Um, but he, now he's, he's going to go to Newfoundland, and he's totally going to get COVID again. And then we'll be like, you know, without a worship leader for two weeks while he quarantines on a rock in the middle of nowhere. Uh, but none of, none of that happened, which is normal for me to have fears that don't get realized. And uh, this, is, this is part of what we're dealing with during the pandemic. Uh, I, I come into this week of the new year a little more weary than I want to admit uh, we have a lot of families in our church that are dealing with issues. Uh, some are health-related and COVID-related. Uh, some are relational-related and all kinds of issues that are just present. And so there's, there's a bit of um, heaviness uh, in my own heart as we just sort of try to look at what's ahead and wonder, um, can we handle what I think is called a compound grief, uh, grief upon grief or stress upon stress? Um, and so I feel like what we need to do is just start with some prayer and pray for some families. And um, you, you know some families by name that need God's love and mercy and, and grace in the moment. And so you can pray for them. I'll pray for some folks and, and we'll collectively, online will join us because they, of course, feel this very same thing. We're all together in this. Let's just spend a little time praying, all right? Bow your heads with me. Lord, we come to you because you're a, a loving God. And you meet us in the middle of whatever pain or uncertainty or difficulty that we experience. So I know there are families in our church dealing with health issues that uh, seem to have no end in sight, no solutions at hand. So we pray for your peace and your healing and your comfort. There's some among us, Lord, that uh, are dealing with financial insecurities and job uncertainties. And as, uh, as it is difficult to trust you in moments like that, we pray that your, your grace would be sufficient for them as their, their trust relies on you and you alone, not on us or our ability or even our sense of what we should do but we trust you to provide. Or for families that are dealing with uh, relational issues or 
or some bit of fracturing, we pray for healing there as well. I pray that you would mend relationships. You would bring people together who are otherwise estranged or torn apart. Lord, it it feels like that we are in between a bit, what was and what will be. And so as we try to persevere, would you uh, guide us and walk through all of the circumstances of this life. And as we trust you, we abandon our ourselves to you for where else would we turn? So Lord, we love you. We surrender all of this to you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we all come together, pray together, and support each other. In the name of Jesus, we say, amen. amen. And so this new series, uh, as we get started, this new year restart really uh, germinates from uh, a couple of verses in the book of Hebrews that I stumbled on a few weeks ago that really seem to speak to the moment that we're in right now and the season that many of us are in, some of our friends are in, some good thoughts for January to help us sort of recenter. And, and I hope that the context that we'll share today will kind of tell you where this series is headed and how it'll be useful to us. Don and I, over the holidays, we had to do a little return after Christmas and we walked into a you know, larger department-like store and the line was, was just bonkers. It was you know, 60 people deep, I think, two people helping at the register, you know, that one of those things. And people were just lined up, you know, like this was normal or something. And so we, without thinking, went and got in that line and we thought that's what we're going to do next because that's, that's what we came to do, to do this little errand. And and we're there, and, and we started to think better of it. We thought, we can do this anytime. We'll just come back. And, but we could see another line forming that wasn't the line. Then there was the line that was the line. And there were some people that thought they were in line. And some other people in line who had been there a while who knew the people getting in line now are not actually in line and haven't been in line. And so you can imagine, it's it like, it like somebody had lit a firecracker. We were watching the fuse go down, you know. We were just waiting to see, you know, what was going to happen. And we watched, and... And so you, you, you know what this feeling of, um, this is just not going to go well. You know, p- people are not, you know, this is just, it's going to be a little squirrely. So we kind of made our exit. And as we were leaving, Donna, I think she said it, I can't, maybe I said it. We've said this a few times over the last several months, but a statement very much like this. We said, boy, people are really funky right now. Have you said anything like that? Let me see your hands if you said something like that. People are really funky right now. And you, you, you know, insert whatever word that illustrates, you know, people being out of sorts or, or impatient or, or just unreasonable or whatever. And for some reason, this time when we said this, it occurred to me that, that we said this, and certainly I received it or said it with this sense that, you know, people are really funky right now as if I were not a people, I, in fact, am a people, and it hit me for the, I don't know, maybe the first time. Yeah, I have some self-awareness, not a great deal of it, but a little bit, and it hit me, and I thought, oh, wait, 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 I wonder if this is true of me as well, or just all these people I'm observing, and of course, I thought, well, that's a silly, stupid question. Of course I'm funky, but how, and to what degree, and in what ways? 
you should probably ask somebody that's near me. And I did not do that. I did not want to know the answer to that question. We are a little bit funky. I, you know, pandemic began, you know, last March, and we thought, this is going to be a rough six weeks. And we'll surely be back to normal by Easter. And here we are. We're wondering, what is normal going to be like? And when is normal? And do we even want normal back? And many of us don't in many ways. And many things are changing and shifting values and perspectives. But I don't know about you, but I feel uh, a bit weary. And when we are weary, we lose perspective. Uh, Big things become small things. Small things become huge irritants. And we begin to react and behave in ways that we might normally not. And when we lose perspective and we make big things into little things, we lose a sense of our values and ethics and why we do what we do and why what matters most matters most. And things can get a little bit hazy and a little bit murky. Do that for a week and you can be a little out of sorts. Do it for a few months and you can maybe develop some habits that are not very great. Do it for a couple of years and you can become a person that you didn't intend to become. And that's where we find ourselves. And I believe that when all this started, and it's a variety of things when we say this, right? It could be the health thing, could be any number of unrest areas of our life, could be any, anything that is creating havoc for you that is uh, global, local, national, personal, familial, you name it. When any of that begins, most of us believe that, well, you know, if we just kind of bear down and hang on, we'll get through this, but you can only do that for so long. So there were a couple of verses that caught my attention in the book of Hebrews that I felt like needed some attention from my own heart and maybe from us as a group of followers of Jesus. And as I began to dig into the context of those verses, I thought, this is a, a story that is, is bigger than just these two verses. And the context really drove me to some things that created this, this series restart. As I read them, I gained some perspective. And the haze began to clear a bit. And I began to think that maybe this will be helpful for me. And the passage seemed to point away to understanding scripture that isn't new or revolutionary by any stretch, but it is helpful, very helpful. And so what I'd like to do is take a moment today to kind of paint a picture of the larger context of these couple of verses. And by the time we're done at the very end, I'll show you these two verses, and maybe they'll be meaningful to you too. But the context is really the bigger picture, and these are the, the ideas that caught my attention the two chapters where I spent a significant amount of time was Hebrews 11 and Hebrews 12. And you might be familiar. I bet once you read a few of these words, even if you're not able to pinpoint it to that place in Scripture, you'll know some of these phrases. But they will help you, I think, maybe gain some perspective in a very difficult time. So nestled in the middle of these two chapters, the very beginning of chapter 12, is this phrase. And this was an important phrase as I began to read and study. In fact, let's just, let's just read it together, shall we? 
Online, you can shout it out in your own living room. Here we go. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. This mattered to me because this word perseverance is the very thing that I feel like I've been lacking lately. I don't have any. I, 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 I want to quit. And I don't mean quit my job or quit my family or quit faith or anything like that, but I'm tired and I'm a little bit weary and I feel like sitting down and just not, whatever the not is. I feel like doing that, less of it. And perseverance feels like it's just missing and lacking in my heart and my life and in my convictions. And missing some perseverance and really not really enjoying that word when I read Hebrews 12, the end of verse 1, sent me to another translation. And I'm glad I did because I found a word I liked better. And I don't know if that's good or bad. But the NLT says it this way, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. And the reason I like that better is because perseverance gives me a sense that, you know, I'm, I'm winning or I, I'm, I'm victorious and I surely mostly don't feel victorious or like I'm winning anything these days. But endurance, well, that tells me that I need to, uh, what? Endure. I feel like I can endure. In fact, I feel like I've been doing that a lot. Enduring. Maybe you feel the same way that, well, I mean, I don't know when it's going to be over. That's how you feel when you wish something were going to be over and it's not over. You think, you know, well, I guess we're just going to endure this. And I normally would think that that is not a positive spin on how it means to live a life of faith. But Hebrews 12, 1 says we're going to run with endurance. And honestly, that's how I feel every time I run. When is this going to be over? I mean, literally run, of course, and, or climb a 14 or go on a long bike ride with Donna or anything where I think this is just longer than I really prefer it to be. And so I can endure. I can endure. And maybe you have felt the same way. Those words are pretty different, perseverance and endurance. They seem to have a different flavor to me. So that drove me to the Greek and the original word. And so I looked it up and did some studying around it. And what it really means is to have steadfast patience to be steadfast in our patience. And that was even better. I like that even better because this is a picture that I think all of us can latch on to. That I, I'm not enjoying some things about life right now. There's some things that I really wish were different or really wish they would change. But to have steadfast patience mean that, I, well, God is calling me to uh, acknowledge the moment, see it for what it is, and just take another step and do the next thing. And, and I feel like that, well, I, I can do that. This, this intrigued me, and I wondered who else would have used this very same word, and it drove me to ask the question, did Jesus even use this word in his teachings? And come to find out, Jesus used this word twice, this very specific Greek word that means steadfast patience. He used it twice when he taught, only twice. On one occasion, he was telling the, the parable of the sower. Maybe you're familiar with that. Um, it's a story that Jesus told to illustrate, you know, the word of God taking root in lives and, and then being swept away in other lives. And so he tells about the four kinds of soil and the farmer that casts the seed and all of that sort of thing. And as, as simple as that parable seems, and this gives me a little bit of encouragement, the disciples came to him and said, could you explain that to us? And I think, come on, guys, you could do better than that. Even I get it. Of course, I have Jesus' explanation to it. And in his explanation... Jesus uses this word. He explains it to his disciples. Here's what the parable means. And he says this statement. This is what Jesus says. People who hear God's word 
and cling to it and patiently produce a huge harvest. And this was powerful to me. I thought, this is, this is what it means to be steadfast and patient, is to hear God's word and, and cling to it. And if I do these things and I work at it, I, I can patiently produce a huge harvest. Of, of what, of, of course? Well, for the farmer and the, the farmer that's working, it's of some sort of product or fruit. It's, it's, it's wheat. It's, it's some piece that is going to be used to nourish other people. And we know that any time the scripture, especially New Testament context, is speaking of fruit or a harvest, it's, it's not for the tree or the person or the individual. It's for the others that are there. It's, it's patience for somebody else. It's grace and gentleness. And, and I read this steadfast patience that gave me a picture of what it means to work and to wait, that it's both. This incredible combination of working and waiting. Farmers know this. People who are thoughtfully about their work and planting seeds and doing things. It doesn't matter if you work in the soil or work in industry. You know that the results take time and energy and it takes patience while people come around to your understanding or a project has got to really take root and get some energy behind it. It's all about what it means to work hard and wait. This is what it means to have steadfast patience or a huge harvest and good fruit. And this is a picture that can draw me in. It is attractive to me. Because if I've missed anything in the last few months, it's been a huge harvest. Now I feel like I'm sort of eking by, you know, got enough for the moment, what I want is to walk into an interaction or relationship or a circumstance and know that I have plenty to offer and plenty to give. Steadfast patience then can bring this about. There's another occasion where Jesus uses this word and it caught my attention too. Jesus near the end of his ministry is telling his disciples that things are gonna get really hard, more difficult than they could imagine. And they can't imagine this yet. They haven't witnessed the crucifixion or seen Jesus get arrested or beaten or anything like that. But Jesus is saying there, there is some very hard and difficult days coming. And I think about us and what we're living through and uh, tension in our culture and maybe even in your family or whatever's happening. And I think that Jesus's words couldn't be more applicable, of course, to the disciples then, but even to us right now. And so he's talking to them about this and he's saying but you 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 can do this you just you know trust in me walk with me and then he says this by your patient endurance as you go through these difficult times you will gain your what you will gain your lives now this is an incredible statement that Jesus makes because he says this knowing that some of the disciples that he is speaking it to will actually lose their lives. And yet Jesus has the foresight or even audacity to say, look, if, if you can be patiently, steadfast, if you can endure, you will gain your lives. Now, there are three Greek words in our New Testament that are translated life or lives. One of them 
is this one. We see it as lives, but in the Greek, it's translated, it's from the root word psyche. And it means your, your, your mind, your emotions, and your will. Boy, if there's anything that's taken a beating, I don't know about you and your own life and your walk with God, for me lately, it's been you know, my emotions and my will. And I want to be living a life that embodies the truth of this verse, that by your patient endurance, you will gain your psyche, your, your resolve, your emotions under control of this huge harvest of grace that God wants to give us. And now I'm really wanting to understand what this endurance looks like and where it comes from and how it can be a part of my own faith in my life. And so to do that, I, I need to really look at the whole verse. And so I backed up just a bit and looked at the whole verse. Uh, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, and then it says this, let's say this part together that's underlined, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Anybody trying to strip off any weight that's slowing them down right now? I mean, it's, it is January, right? I, I have a, a scale that um, is a smart scale. I don't know why they call it that, because uh, it seems really rude. I think they should call it a rude scale. It, I, I, we bought it, and it, the weight ends up going on my phone and on my watch, and I cannot escape it. It's around me all the time. I can't imagine what I'd weigh if I had no idea what I weighed. I wouldn't even want to know. But I got on my scale January 1st, and it said, Happy New Year. It, my scale said to me, Happy New Year. And then it gave me the bad news of what the holidays had done to my waistline and uh, a ghastly number that appeared. And it's the stupidest thing I've ever bought. It really is. I wish I had never bought it. That's not even the point of this verse. I just wanted to, just thought I'd point that out to you. This is the point of the verse. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, and it goes on, and you remember, we just spent a bit of time talking about this endurance. There seems to be some connection between those who are this huge crowd of witnesses that are watching us live out our faith every day. I mean, if you've ever wondered about the connection between what is seen and what is unseen, Hebrews chapter 12 seems to clear that up. There are, there are people who have gone before us that are watching us live out our faith, make decisions, walk with Jesus every day trying to sort out what we think is important, how we share and love and show kindness and grace to other people. There's a, a crowd watching us. You know, we, we think that our lives are lived in you know, relative obscurity or privacy, and, and that may be true for the things that we experience on this earth, but there are people that are watching and, and in many ways, I would say, cheering us on or, or hoping for good in our lives. And this, this crowd of witnesses at the beginning of chapter 12 is, of course, connected, you know this because of this little word, therefore, to the previous chapter. Chapter 11 is the great faith chapter of Hebrews. It's the Hall of Fame faith chapter. Maybe you've read it. If you haven't, Hebrews 11 and 12 are, are worth your time and worth your energy just to read through kind of slowly and thoughtfully, and you'll see these things again, the things we've mentioned today, kind of give us a foundation for this series. But Hebrews 11 references people in the Old Testament, many by name, and what faith means. But before it gets to the people, it gives us a definition of faith. So therefore, let's go back to Hebrews 11, the very beginning. 
Now, faith is confidence of what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. If you're not familiar with this phrase or this definition of faith, it's key and it's critical and it will inform how you walk with God every day. So let's say it together, all of us. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we, what we do not see. And this is so important that we grab hold of this and use this as a working definition. Because I'm told in scripture that God is making all things new, but it sure doesn't seem like it, does it? I'm told that God is at work, but it sure seems like he's distant and asleep at the wheel. I'm told that God is redeeming all things and all people, but a lot of people that I spend time with or that I rub shoulders with or you might find yourself with, you might think they don't seem redeemed or even interested in redeemed, nothing. And yet faith is confidence in what we hope for that God is indeed at work, that he is making all things new, and that he is redeeming all things and all people. And we have to be assured about it, even though we do not see it. Then the author of Hebrews says, this is what the ancients were commended for. This is what they were applauded for. This is what was counted to them as a credit. And then the author gives us some examples. So chapter 11 follows this this pattern. By faith, insert a name, whatever name. Here's an example. By faith, Abraham. And then there's all kinds of people mentioned in the entire chapter. There's there's, there's, uh, Enoch and there's Joseph and David. And eventually the author says, I don't even have time to talk about. And he lists a bunch of names of people he didn't have time to talk about. And I thought, well, you just talked about them. You found time. And so now we have all these names of people who have lived by faith. And the example is here. By faith, Abraham, he was called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance. He obeyed and he went, even though he did not know where he was going. This is by faith. Samson, Samuel, and others over and over and over again. We see stories of incredible obedience and trust in God. And then, oh, about three-fourths of the way through the chapter, there's a whole paragraph that turns the entire mood of the chapter. I mean, here, I'm inspired. And then I'm going to read just a little further down about some people who were persecuted, killed, beaten, slain with a sword, sawn in half. This chapter unexplainably includes victories of God's people and defeat, helping us understand that it is Confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. The story of Abraham in the middle of all of it. With all of these people in mind, this is what the ancients were commended for. The author then says, therefore, since we are surrounded by a huge crowd of witnesses, and these are the ones that are cheering us on in our faith right now. There's something about your endurance at work on a Monday, when you're about to lose patience at a, 
at this unbelievable repeating situation that you can't believe you're dealing with again, there's something about your endurance and perseverance, your steadfast patience in that moment that is connected to the story of these witnesses and the way they live their faith. Now, I know their stories are grand and they merit being in scripture and recorded for all people for all time. Your story, you might feel, is all smaller, much more tedious, not nearly worth the headline that would garner the story of a Noah or a Moses. But yet God is just as much in your story as he was in theirs. And the grace that you show, the the patient endurance that you exhibit on any given day, well, it's being cheered on by those who have gone on before us. Listen close. The path that we are on has been well-tread. It's been tread by people who experienced an unimaginable number of tests and trials and difficulties. And the pain of your current struggle is not unfamiliar to them. We are on the same path. And that is the path that was blazed by even people in your family who claim faith, whose heritage you currently stand on. If you have parents or grandparents that came from faith. It could be you're the pioneer in your family that is blazing a trail for those that will come after you. This is the path that Hebrews 11 and 12 speaks of. And it is their victories and defeats that teach us what it means to patiently endure. So what the ancients were commended for, we're being challenged to engage in now. And in the weeks to come, we'll take a look at some of these stories of the ancients and what they were commended for. We'll do exactly what Hebrews did for the people then that read it. We're reading it now. And they had the same struggles that we had with anxiety, relational fracturing in families, unbelievable estrangement, bitterness and unforgiveness, depression, all of these things they faced. And if we will engage with God's word and cling to it, then we will, reach a huge, we will reap a huge harvest as well. Now, the two verses that caught my attention at first are going to be the verses that sort of you know, guide me as I find myself maybe a little hazy or confused or lost through the year. And maybe there'll be verses that will help you as well. You'll find them here. Hebrews chapter 12, 12 and 13. Here's what the author says. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. I read these two verses and thought about our circumstances, even my own circumstances. And what I liked about these verses is they encouraged me to exhibit strength, but call me weak. They encouraged me to mark out a straight path, even though I have knees that might fail. And I don't know if when you read these two verses, you see yourself as the strong one or the weak one. It might be different today than it is any given day this week. 
But what it does say is that whether I'm strong or weak, you and I, we walk together and we lean on one another in such a way that we will make it down this same path while we're being cheered on by the ancients who were commended for their faith. In the same way that they walked that path, so will we. And I'm confident in the weeks to come, one day I will be weak and lame, and one day it will be you. But we'll link arms, and we'll walk together, and we'll allow the stories of these ancients to guide our path. Because if there's anything that the world needs right now, it's men and women walking that path obediently, thoughtfully, patiently enduring, allowing this haze to clear, aligning our priorities with who God is, and providing to those around us this huge harvest of fruit that can only come from God in us. Won't you pray with me? Lord, we come to you right now at this moment of prayer as we begin this year knowing that some of us right here and listening online, we are weary. Some of us are taking courage and moving ahead with with strength. But we know that we need each other. We need each other in profound ways. Lord, we read these stories of, of the ancients and what they were commended for. Abraham and his faith. Joseph and his wisdom. Noah and his obedience. Moses and his his family that did not fear the, the king's edict. And we're thankful that these are the ones that are uh, watching us today. This great cloud of witnesses. Uh, Wishing, hoping, praying, cheering, encouraging us on. For Lord, we are not alone. You are with us. And those that have gone before us, we walk on this well-trod path. And as we do so, Lord, we want to have a huge harvest, fruit of the Spirit, to give freely to those around us. Not for our sake, but for theirs. And so, Lord, as we embark on a new year, we declare that certainty is not what we want. What we want is you. Your presence, cling to your word, knowing and seeing how you are at work in us to make all things new, including our hearts. So help us to endure patiently, thoughtfully. Help us to even persevere. And as we do so, may you be glorified. So Lord, now we bring it all to you. We come to your feet. We run to you. And we pray that these words that we now sing would represent the prayer of our heart as we begin this year. So now where you are uh, at home or right here in this room, go ahead and stand with me and let's uh, use these lyrics as a, as a confession. And we come to God in this way, humble, surrendered, ready to seek him anew and afresh this year. <laughs>